I think it really is about listening to yourself um, and also giving yourself time. You know, I'm 40, so I've had some time to think about things. Um, I've worked for many years in many different industries. There's no need to, to put a, an end date. So, you know, I need to know this by this date. No, there's no expiration. Um, allow yourself the time to think about what you want and why you want it and allow yourself to not know and yeah. sit with the not knowingness. Hello, Anna. How are you? Very well. Hi, Carlo. Great to be here. <laughs> Anna, how do you like to be called? Anna Maria or, or Anna? Just Anna? Anna's fine. Anna's Anna fine. enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so happy to have you here in the, in the show. I, I wanted to, you know, have you as a guest for a, for a long time. And I mean, you are, um, pioneering many things in the digital art space as a writer and a poet, and um, also as a founder because you are the, the founder of the Verse Verse, which is a digital gallery for for poetry, right? So it's quite quite innovative. Um, so I uh, and also recently you started to write for Forbes, right? Um, and I've been wondering, Anna, when when did you decide to to become a writer, how, how how young were you when you started to write and, and thought about making it a career? I was in middle school, really, when I began writing in a way that started taking up um, a significant amount of space and time within my life. Um, I started writing in the backs of my school notebooks and started filling them up. And... Um, I realized that, you know, I was writing more than I had um, thought that, that I was doing when I had to go out and buy new notebooks for my classes because, you know, before the end of the semester, they were filled up in, in sixth and seventh grade. Um, and I had to go to the drugstore and get new ones. And then as soon as blogs started coming out, you know, with web, with um, WordPress and... Uh, yeah. Early like, 2000, right? More or less. I started a blog called The Drugstore Notebook, mm. where I would publish all my writing that I, you know, I was always writing about books, writing poetry, writing just things um, that I thought were interesting. If I'd go to an exhibition and I wanted to write something about it, I published it in my blog and I called it The Drugstore Notebook in honor right. of those notebooks that I was buying in, in middle school. And, and was it uh, poetry already, or were you writing other things? Um, it was it was mixed, kind of like I do now. So I I've always loved to write poetry, obviously, um, but I also wrote about books that I like to read. Um, so I would, you know, I'm an avid reader. I love reading fiction. I love reading poetry, short stories, everything. And so I just write my book thoughts. I called it my book thoughts. Um, mm. So I'd write about. What I was reading, and I, but I also wrote about. I remember I wrote an essay. Um, I was trying to find it the other day about why I thought women use more exclamation marks than men. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. And so I'd write about just 
random thoughts also. Um, but I also had little poetry contests and I invited others to publish on the blog as well. Okay. I once had a contest where you could only submit work that had been rejected at least right. three times. Um, because, you know, as a writer, you get rejected so yeah. often. Um, so I was like, you know, um, it's a poetry contest for rejects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, makes yeah. sense. Um, so that was uh, an early blog. And I mean, I, I guess I, I, I would like to know a bit about your first, your, your, like your education and kind of your, your start in the, in the professional world. Um, so first, what did you study? What were your, like your first uh, professional uh, jobs? What was it related to writing to? Well, I studied, um, the, the major that I did, the concentration, it's called, uh, it, I went to Harvard and they're called concentrations there instead of majors. My concentration is called Romance Studies, um, which is uh, focused on the Romance languages. So you had to pick three. And I did French, Spanish, and Italian. Um, the literature, the plays, and also, of course, the, the languages themselves. Um, my, my main focus was French. I, within the three, French, then Spanish, then Italian. Um, and I, I wrote my thesis, for example, on the role of two cafes in sparking modernity in both Spain and France in, on Le Chat Noir and El Scatregats in Barcelona, um, which were two sort of, uh, you know, El Scatregats or the four cats was inspired by Le Chat Noir in Barcelona, and I wrote about the, the role of the cafe in sparking cultural revolutions. And I actually received a grant uh, from Madrid's Complutense University mm -hmm. to finance travel and study and research okay. in, on, for my thesis. Um, so that was my what I studied. And I you know, was writing creatively as well as I was writing essays on Proust or you know, whatever I was reading. Um, But then I went on to work in many communications-related jobs. I worked in finance in New York. Um, I worked as a freelance journalist. Um, I worked for the government in Colombia. Mm -hmm. I worked in lots of, um, lots of different sort of industries, always focused around messaging and communications. Mm. Okay, no, that, that makes sense. And when, when do you actually, like, start to focus on your writing uh, full time. Was that, is that something that happened over the past years or you have been doing this uh, full time for a while? You know, I, I worked always, um, I always had a job. I still have a day job. Um, and it wasn't really, I took a break from, from working only when my son, who is now 11, was born. Mm. And that's when I focused you know, for a couple of years before I went back to work on my writing. And that's when I gathered my writing in Spanish that I had written over many years into a book called Entre Domingo y Domingo, mm. which I then submitted to many contests in Colombia, where I was living at the time. My son was born in, in Bogota. And, you know, to my great surprise, it won a National Poetry Award. And I was the first woman to win this this award. Um, 
for this collection of, of poems. And when I got the call, I thought it was, you know, I, I was so confused. I'm like, what do you mean? What did I win? You know, I had, I had submitted it to 20 different places. So it was hard to remember exactly the names of every place yeah. I submitted to. And they were inviting me to travel. They were inviting me to go, you know, receive this award, um, to get published. And it really changed my life um, because then I realized that I, I needed, I was always a writer, but I never thought that um, I could turn it into a life. I could make it a life. And then mm. that's when I realized, you know, I could make this into my life. Well, that's, yeah, it was kind of the, a sign, right? A sign that you could, you could pursue these, um, yeah, dedicate more, more time to it, right? That, that, that's interesting. And, and you mentioned you, you are, you were in Colombia. You are originally from Colombia. My, my grandmother is from Medellin. She was born and my grand, grandparent as well. Um, but I was, I was born in, in Venezuela. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer too. I do it not, not, I mean, very different from you, but I, I, you know, I had this thing with the writing in Spanish, right, or in English, and I would like to write more in, in Spanish, but I feel like there the community is not as big, right? If you that if you write in English, and you know, for you now, you 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 are writing in English, but also in Spanish. What what is kind of like um when. Have you been writing in in English from from the beginning, or and how did you decide? I guess that's the question. How did you decide which language to use, and 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 does it affect the content if you write in English or if you write in Spanish? You know, I don't think I I decide really um, what I'm writing in. I writing really accompanies my life. It's something that I do very organically, um, and when I wrote that book of poems in Spanish, I was living in Bogota. I lived there for a decade, you know, a few years after college, I moved back. Um, and I lived there for 10 years. Mm. And so these poems really represent my twenties spent living in Bogota, which if you've ever been there, you know, it's this massive Latin American city that has so yeah. many layers to it. Um, it's, it's conservative, but also highly subversive. Um, and as a single young woman, you know, I, I really felt kind of ripped apart by all these currents and all these pressures that I had to to get married, to to explore, to do all these things at once. Um, and so that's really what my book is about. And then, you know, we moved to the U.S. for for my husband's work, and that's when I I publish all my work in English. Mm. Um, and now that I'm living in Spain, I'm writing again in Spanish. Mm. So I think yeah. it, it's really connected to my life, to, to where I'm, I'm experiencing what it's like to be alive. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like a diary, kind of a diary of, of, of your life, right? So you're writing the language where, that you're using at, at the time and, yeah, that that that's a good way to put it. And let's talk about more more recent stuff, uh, Anna, because I think you you entered the the space um, in kind of at the same time as I I did in twenty twenty one, and 
Yeah, I'm just curious on how did you discover blockchain and NFTs and how how did you, you know, start to publish your work in the digital medium? You you said you had a blog, so you were kind of you you you, you were already publishing works online. Um but this the usage of the blockchain, when did you discover that and, and how did it affect your, your work? Well, I, I was already digitizing my poems. Um, I always felt that the life of a published poem was so quiet, uh, so insular, um, almost anticlimactic. You know, when you publish traditionally, usually you submit, you often have to pay for somebody to read your work. Mm. Um, you can wait up to a year or longer uh, to hear back. Most mm. often than not, you will be rejected. Um, you know, any published writer knows the reality of every single work that makes it out into the world has been rejected dozens and dozens of times. Um, I have an essay coming out in a really wonderful publication soon, and it's been rejected. I counted 45 times before wow. somebody accepted it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, you, you, you get really thick skin as a writer. Um, but even even when things are published, and it's really exciting to be published in reputable journals that you know sort of build your your career in a traditional sense, you don't really know who reads your work. And lots of these publications don't have massive distribution. They don't have a digital component. So you know they're they're expensive too for people to buy twenty dollars. You know eighteen dollars they can be mm. so. Who you don't really know who's going to read your work once it's published. Mm. Um, so I was, I was trans transforming them, translating them into the digital realm, into um, you know Instagram. Very simple, these little simple animations, and and with a sound component with my voice because I've always really liked adding my voice to mm -hmm. my work. And when I read about Web three, it just made so much sense to take these works that were already in existence and put them on platforms. Mm. Um, it felt very intuitive. It made immediate sense to me. And it, I also wanted right away to start a digital uh, poetry gallery to not only share my work, but the work of others with whom I was, you know, intimately in contact. And um, I dove in and I, I was invited to be part of a collection called Ether Poems. Mm -hmm. That happened, um, that minted oh. first directly onto the Ethereum blockchain. So it was on-chain poetry. That mm -hmm. is, is it, it was doable because gas at that point wasn't expensive. It, mm -hmm. it then turned really expensive and that affected the collection's success, actually. Um, but that's how it all kind of began for me. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember uh, Ether Poems um, on Ethereum. That was. Quite interesting, and I, I remember also uh, you jumping on the Twitter spaces and reading your poetry very, very early, both in English and in Spanish. I, I remember that. That's what, how I got to know um, your, your writing in, uh, on Twitter spaces back in 2021. Um, and yeah, things uh, have moved fast from there. And like you have 
I mean, I think you have worked nonstop from from for the past two years, right? Working on your on your writing and publishing and with the verse verse. Um, and what are your thoughts, Anna? Because I think many artists struggle with this um, in developing your your audience, your community, um, your collectors. So how how do you approach that? Um, what do you do? Do you do anything in particular? Maybe something that you see others aren't doing. What have? How have you managed to you know continue to work in your in your writing and continue to publish online and develop your audience? Any any advice for for artists um, in the space regarding that? You know, I really believe in what I'm doing. Um, I really believe that that. Um, Poets need to participate in in the art market in a meaningful way, and I really want this to want you know my efforts to translate into opportunities for other poets in the future. So when you have a conviction and a mission, I think it's it's almost inevitable. Like you almost cannot help but work and devote yourself to it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very hardworking. Um, I've worked since I was a teenager, you know, in, in my writing and, um, in, in the real world as well, in my, in my jobs. Um, it's something that is within me. It's how I tick. Um, so I think that hard work comes naturally to me. I enjoy working. Um, I enjoy waking up before dawn and sitting at my desk and getting things done and sharing what I what I love to do. Um, but I think that, you know, getting a little bit more nitty gritty, perhaps Twitter spaces really help me. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, I think that it's really important for artists to get on Twitter spaces. A lot of them are hesitant and really you only learn by doing um, I think we've all fumbled our way through Twitter spaces and eventually we get our groove. We know what to say, how to say it and say it quickly. Um, and it's, it's something you just need to hone and practice. Nobody, you know, is born knowing how to present themselves on, on Twitter spaces. But I think that's some, that's something really, really useful. Like you said, yeah. um, and I think that, sharing your work online and learning how to thoughtfully transmit what you're about is is going to only be useful when opportunities present themselves in real life when you have calls with curators when you have interviews so you know twitter spaces are available they're always there you can always request the, the mic mm. i think that's a really useful tool for artists um active in in web3 And, um, you know, connecting with other artists, of, of course, is, is key as well. Building your own, you know, support system and, and, and community is, is crucial. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned something very important that you have conviction and that you are on a mission to support poets, right? So that's what drives you to, to help poets get visibility, to... Um, make this art form popular again or respected. Maybe the word is not popular, but that it's respected. And I guess my question there is, how did you come up with this? Uh, 
this mission, this vision, Anna, and, and for those that maybe don't have a clear vision or mission in, in could be in, in their art or in their work or in their life. How, how do you have any advice on how, how to come up with a, a vision and a mission or something that drives you that, you know, makes you, that motivates you to continue, to continue working as, as you do every day and waking up early and publish with passion. Any, any advice regarding finding your mission and vision for artists or creators in general? I think it really is about listening to yourself um, and also giving yourself time. You know, I'm 40, so I've had some time to think about things. Um, I've worked for many years in many different industries and I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 25. I didn't know what I wanted when I was 33. Even though I was already writing, it wasn't, it hadn't crystallized. Um, in, in a way that I, you know, could, could write it into one single sentence. It takes time, some, some, you know, for things to, to become clear to some of us. Um, other people know when they're 20, you know, and, and that's wonderful. But, you know, Robert Frost first published in his 40s. Um, there's many artists who've started later in life. And I think that there's no need to, to put a, an end date to, you know, I need to know this by this date. No, there's no expiration. Um, allow yourself the time to think about what you want and why you want it and allow yourself to not know and yeah. sit with the not knowingness of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It will come. It will come. If you sort of invoke, that knowledge, I do believe that it'll come. But yeah, that's it'll come at a different time, you know. It 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 doesn't. It's not going to come, you know, January first. <laughs> yeah, there are no deadlines. You cannot put a deadline or that on that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was when I read about Web three. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. I was. I knew I was waiting for something. Like you know, you're waiting for something, and you're manifesting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and look, the the wheels in your head are spinning but you don't know toward what. And then when I read about it, I was like, this is it. This is what I was been waiting for. And I yeah. did it, you know, without knowing what I was doing. Yeah. 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 I guess web three, I mean, opens it, open the door, not only as a, you know, as a distribution mechanism, but also as a way to build an audience, build a community worldwide, right. That any, anywhere in the world they could be also, um, it kind of kind of pushes artists and creators to have an online presence, right? To to share what they are working on, to share their work, and that kind of generates this flywheel of of you know followers that um, keep you motivated, right? And also there is the technology part, right? The the benefits of the blockchain. Um, Authentication, provenance, um, all these uh, decentralization. Um, in in terms for for a writer, for a, for a poet, how important is that, Anna? Because you mentioned you had, you were, I mean, you, there were many problems or or challenges trying to go in the traditional the traditional publishing uh, route, but when it comes to 
blockchain, anybody could do it, right? You don't need to ask permission and it also authenticates your work and and you know it's it's there on the blockchain. You can see the provenance, you can see when it was minted. So how valuable has it this been to you as a as a writer, um, the technology aspects of NFTs and, and the blockchain. Do you think that's uh, key to your success um, as a writer? I mean, I think at the end of the day, the Web3 space is highly intelligent. And I think um, even though, you know, perhaps accolades and um, you know, traditional trajectories don't always matter to the Web3 space um, or to the digital realm. I do think that eventually um, there is recognition of hard work and effort mm -hmm. and trajectory. Eventually there is. Um, and I believe that, you know, it, you, you need to, to really be consequential. Um, I, I don't think, you know, any poet um, can expect to just put their work on the blockchain and for it to immediately transact. I mean, you do need to put in the time and effort um, into building an online presence, into sharing about what you're about, what your work um, seeks to, to, to explore. Um, it helps of course, to be published because that just helps to, to show the effort that has gone in, you know, anyone who's been published know how, how hard knows how hard it is. So I do think that, it's it's a balancing act between many different things between honing your work um you know having the quality that's there um between sharing the work of of others uh, between building a community and to also trying to publish traditionally and sharing those efforts and hopefully those successes as well um i don't think there's a formula i've seen I've seen poets, um, you know, just do one, one, one mint and then disappear because they get tired of, they get tired of, of being online or sharing their, their work on Twitter. It takes, it takes time. It really does. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the issues that, that we face is, is the amount of online time that it takes to really make a dent and to get your yeah. work seen um not everyone's willing to do it and it's understandable and not everyone also has the time um to to do so right yeah it's uh it's having a long-term vision right and as you said having a a mission and a vision and it's not a, about the how much you're making right it's more about the process um so you have to really get in love with the process right of publishing and, and building a community, talking to other artists, understand what's happening and how the space is moving, um, and not so much on the how much you're making, right? Because it's really, it's really very, I wouldn't say random, but it takes time, as you said. And yeah, that's a, a great way to put it, Anna. And, you know, you have published a lot, as, as we, we have discussed, you have published five books, and multiple poems as NFTs. And recently you had a very important auction, right? With Sotheby's, uh, the first, I think it's the first digital poem to be 
uh, sold in, in Sotheby's in an auction, and it's called Court. And, you know, congratulations on that. I think it's a very, very, I mean, an important milestone. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that, about that poem in particular, and also um, the experience of being on, on Sotheby's and having this auction life and, and you know, follow, follow the, the, the process and the results? What can you tell us about it? It was um, a really transformative experience, Carlo. Um, I think it, in many ways, it was a culmination of years of hard work um, and of, of being in, in the community. Um, because, of course, um, you know, there are many worthy poets in the world. Um, but the fact that I've been very active in the digital art and contemporary art scene, um, you know, I think invited the curator to to consider me in in for the exhibition, and and inspire them to reach out to me and ask me to to participate. And that's a word that I I use very often when I speak about poetry and um, contemporary art, which is I want us to participate. Um, whether or not it sells, whether or not, you know, there's, there's a, a monetary transaction, I want us to be able to participate on equal ground. So for me, it was really special to participate in this auction, especially because when I, when I was asked to be part of it, um, the, the curator said, you know, there's a way to put only text, to inscribe text onto Bitcoin. And I love that because, as you know, my mission is poem equals work of art. Mm -hmm. And usually these poems are visuals. They have sound, you know, the words move on the, on the screen. But here we are inscribing a text only um, piece of language onto yeah. the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, mm -hmm. As the collector of the work said, the mother of all blockchains. And the work that I selected, I knew it had to be Chord because Chord is a Villanelle. It's a centuries old poetic form. It's very um, technically demanding, technically challenging. And of course, Bitcoin is the technological innovation that started it all in many ways. So I wanted to pay homage to, um, to that technological challenging um, nature of of both the work mm -hmm. and of the of the blockchain itself and yeah. um it's been really wonderful to see all these crypto native publications um writing about what <laughs> <the world. laughs> yeah <laughs> yes it's uh yeah exciting i've seen you in the in the news um and yeah i think it's because it's very you know it's very innovative on, on on one side, you have the inscribing on Bitcoin, which is um, also kind of a very new form that was, I mean, I think it was the, the ordinal system was, um, if, I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was created last year. Um, and also on the other hand, it's a poem, right? Which is also very unusual, right? You're kind of breaking through um, kind of, been one of the the first poets to you know have 
success in the space. Um, there are more, but I think you're one of the the you're one of the top ones, right? So those two factors I think attracted, and and then it's on sort of beast, right? So those three three elements I think made it very very important, and of course, um, as you said, the the poem itself, the the what it's it about, it's also very important. And you mentioned the, the curator. I, I believe it was Far. Am I right, uh, Anna? Yes. yes. It was Far, um, and I met him early on. Um, and yeah, we just we've been meaning. He lives in Madrid, where I live, mm. and we've been meaning to meet up. And we finally managed to do it in December. Mm. And he said, "You know, I'm I'm putting together something, and I'd love to have a work of yours." And I swear that morning, before I met Far, before I knew anything. I was thinking about Chord, which had been published thanks to a wonderful poet who's at, um, actually part of the, the verse verse. She's called Nicole Tomlin. It's been wonderful to work with her. And um, we published this poem in a journal called the Blue Mountain Review. And I was actually interviewed by NPR, and we spoke about the poem and Villanelle. And, and the poem is also um, about the ties that bind, the visible and invisible ties that bind. It references umbilical cords, but also the cords between families and those relationships, how complex they are. And um, and I also thought about tying it to Web3, where we're all linked in visible and invisible ties virtually. And I had been thinking, um, Carlo, about that poem in the morning. And then when Fad told me about the exhibition, you know, it just felt like, like when I read about Web3, I'm like, this is it. Okay, we're putting cord on, on Bitcoin. And then I wrote five that afternoon and said, oh, my God, I'm going to turn cord into a cordinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great story. Far was in the podcast. I think he was the on episode number two very, very early. And, yeah, I've been trying to, to get him uh, again because he has been doing uh, amazing stuff. Of Bitcoin ordinals, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really, really interesting what's happening there. Um, and Anna, you also were in Bright Moments, uh, Argentina, in, in I think last year. And how did that feel? Because I think it was a great experience, right? I, I've been to Bright Moments, and that the you know the physical getting together with with artists and collectors in in a in multiple days in a row, listen to talks and and you know different different things related to the space is very special. And I guess for you, as you were presenting a, a collection, it must have been um, very exciting. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Sure. Um, so first of all, during Bright Moments Buenos Aires, I was invited to speak about um, the literary potential of the blockchain, Carlo, and I mentioned you. Ah, thank you. Someone who um, has, you know, turned their interest into a, into a, you know, a, a life. Um, I mentioned also Judy Ma, one of the earliest, um, you know, publishers of, of books in on on chain, um, because there's a lot of interest of how to turn, you know, literary web three into different different life paths. So just wanted to let you know, I don't think I'd ever told you that I, I mentioned you as an example. No. I was like, oh yeah, Carlo, Carlo. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And yes, yeah, so 
when I was when I was started conversations with um, Seth from Bright Moments, uh, I already had uh, paperwork, which is my collection, largely developed. I had been invited to perform my verse in various locations around the world, and I really wanted to pay homage to these moments of connection to poetry because I felt that um, in many ways the ephemeral ethereal moment of connection to poetry uh, was mirrored by the the digital um, conception of of materiality where we think that the digital is somehow intangible ethereal in a similar way perhaps to how poetry is but I think that the digital is of course very material and I of course think that performed poetry and moments of connection to verse are completely, completely tangible and concrete. Uh, because when a poem enters your head as you're waiting in line for coffee or you're sitting in traffic or you're doing anything during the day, it's, it's inside you, it's in your flesh. And what can be more tangible than that? Um, and so I wanted to make a statement about poetry and the digital's materiality together. And so when I was performing my verse, I asked people to uh, write down one word in response to my spoken word poetry. And I was collecting these slips of paper, which, you know, had just like scribbled words by different people, by strangers on them. And one person left me an origami swan after a reading. And this one was just so precious. Um, so I transformed all these words into origami paper sculptures, digital origami paper sculptures, also paying homage to paper as medium, not just as messenger. We also yeah. think paper is perhaps disposable. We write something, cripple it, and throw it away. But I actually think that paper is a beautiful, beautiful element. And um, paperwork was born. When I spoke with Seth, I already had 40 of these little sculptures and they were all named after the word that the person had left behind, you know, silence, liberation, um, escape, all these different words. And each sculpture very much is tied to what the word means because I want people to be able to read the sculptures and read the word and the connotations of the word into um, into the visual as well. And um, when I read it, Bright Moments in Buenos Aires, it was the final step in this, in this collection. So what we did with Bright Moments and the team was amazing, Christy Coronado, um, Fed, um, everyone at, at Bright Moments really was just um, amazing. Um, Casey, she helped me so much as well. I mean, you've met the entire team. They're just so, so incredibly lovely. Um, Leo, I just want to mention everyone always, <laughs> you know, give them things. And um, we created this installation in this gorgeous palace in Buenos Aires where we printed all the 100 words onto different pieces of paper and they were hung in this room. And then I read at a cafe and then we asked everybody to go up to the room and select one word that most closely resembled their experience of my verse triangulating them with my poetry, with a complete stranger, and that moment of, of their own private collection. 
connection to, to verse. And so the word that they selected, you know, whether it was transmute or songbird would become the digital paperwork that they collected. Um, mm. So they would take home the print. They also had the little paper, the handwritten note and, um, and the digital paper sculpture. Mm, nice. And that's quite the story. Um, I like how it was born out of, uh, of this, uh, talk you were giving, right. And that they handled the paper. So that's how, how you got inspiration, um, for it. And yeah, that's quite, quite interesting. And I think that's a common theme, right? You, you find inspiration in, in your daily, in, in your life, right. What, what's happening to you and, and, that's how you you get ideas um what about the the writing and how do you usually write you 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 said you wake up early every day is that the the time you you used to write or it really depends how how is it how do you you know find the the time and and you have to force yourself to sit and write or is it more like is it easy for you to actually write because I know there are many writers that struggle with this, right? Like they get blocked and they they don't they don't they don't have a process. Have you struggled with that to to you know finding the time to write or or finding ideas or that's something that comes natural to you? You know, I once went to see Joan Didion speak, and I remember somebody asked for that. Someone's like, "How do you find you know the discipline? How do you make yourself write?" And she was just kind of shocked at the question, almost, you know, border, borderline rude in her response. She was just like, I'm a writer. I write, um, you know, like if you're a writer, you sit down and write. Mm. And I was, you know, I think it was my twenties. I was, I was really young and struggling to sit down and write. Mm. And I said, you know what? I need to shut up and write. Mm -hmm. like, if I'm serious about this, then I just have to sit down and write. And so I just sit down and write and I wake up really early and I, and I write. Um, and a lot of writing is editing. A lot of writing is off. So, you know, there is um, my, my, one of my professors says there's the writing and then there's the authoring. And sometimes the authoring is a pain, you know, you're it's editing, it's putting stuff out into the world. It's submitting it's cover letters. But that counts. Writing doesn't get itself into a book by itself, you know, like if you want to be published by a publishing house. So there's a lot of menial labor that goes into, into the authoring part of things. And if you're not in a writing mindset, at least do that. At least sit down and edit your work. At least sit down and put them together. At least yeah. sit down and look at opportunities, you know, do a Google search. Um, you know, share it on Twitter, whatever it is, but, but, but make sure it's related to the craft of writing, the art of writing. Yeah. Yeah. That I try to, to do that. Also, I, I like to take notes and, and that helps me a lot to, you know, have a, a long list of ideas. Um, I think that's a, it's a good trick. And I think many people, and it's useful, not, not only for writers, right? Just in general. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to, to keep notes. Um, and Anna, we, we have talked a bit about your, I mean, your story, how you, you got interested in writing, um, 
how you got interested in the digital space, some of your latest collections. But I'm curious about your current projects. We were chatting a bit about that, and I think you have some some collabs, one collab on the way, which, by the way, you, you have been collaborating with a lot of artists. Um, can you tell us a bit about how do you like find collaborators? It, not sure if the word is fine, if that comes natural with your peers, with other artists. And can you share a bit about this new collection, which I think it's sounded very, very interesting. So I, I'm going to be working with Melissa Viderect. Uh, mm -hmm. who is someone that I greatly admire as a human and as an artist. So I'm really, really fangirling um, working with <laughs> Melissa. And we are creating a collection called Miss Metaverse that we will launch at Art Dubai uh, in partnership with Gazelle Art House. And, um, you know, I grew up in Bogota where Miss Universe was an absolutely you know massive event and yeah. i'm sure it's the same in venezuela yeah yeah <laughs> and so you know i recently stumbled across miss universe footage and i had all these flashbacks of growing up in colombia there was a magazine called gromos that would publish each of the contestants of all the states in colombia's you know, in their swimsuits with their measurements, their height, their passions, their interests. And I remember reading them, you know, like religiously when it would come out, it was like the Cromos, the, the Miss Universe, the Miss Colombia Cromos was coming out. And then we would all stop to watch Miss Universe. And it was a huge, huge deal to see what she would be, what score she would get it for the, for the nightgown, for the ethnic costume. Yeah. And how ridiculous it was and the fact that it still exists. Um, and so I was chatting with Melissa about it. And then, you know, we had this idea of creating a Miss Metaverse because we think, you know, participating in Web3, um, there are, there's all these games also that you need to play. You need to be online. You yeah. need to present yourself. You need to perform yourself. You need to create an image. Um, and so we wanted to acknowledge the labor that goes into creating an online presence that translates into what we call success, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we are creating this, this collection called Miss Metaverse that um, engages with the webcam so that there is um, a notion of representation of, of the self, of the digital self online. And then there are traits that we are creating that, um, are playful but also sad um yep. you know it's also a destructive a, a self-destructive yeah. and constructive um dialectic that's happening you know you're you're performing and you're also devolving you're distorting yourself yep. online um and you're 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 exhausting also your yourself yeah so i think that i think people will We'll pause and reflect. They'll, it's going to be funny, um, but it's funny, not funny. It's yeah. it's also disturbing. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Melissa. She's part of the community, and she's um, yeah a, a, an amazing generative artist, right? So she she has some amazing collections, and I wonder where will you release this, Anna? Is or is 
Is it like a specific platform? Will it be curated somewhere or more like an independent release? Um, what is the, let's, let's say the medium, the, the, or yeah, the, the releasing, releasing mechanism for, for Miss Metaverse? Miss Metaverse will be released on the Gazelle um, Art House platform. They have their own okay. platform. It's integrated with, with Artbox, I believe. Um, so, so that should work, let's say, smoothly in terms of collecting. We're hoping that most of the works will actually be uh, available in Art Dubai during okay. the because we're going to have a webcam and a screen where um, you know collectors will be able to see a, a, a t totally distorted version of themselves. There won't be really any live footage recorded, um, but there will be an element of pageantry in the sense that traits will um, add up to certain points, like they do in Miss Universe. Like you know, are your measurements ninety, sixty, ninety? You know, bust, yeah. waist, and hips. Yeah, Which you remember you laughed because I'm sure. You heard yeah, it. yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, I it's remember growing up uh, in Venezuela every year. This was one of the most important events. Um, and you know, my favorite part was when the misses had to answer questions. Uh, the, and they, they, those were great, like the the answers they gave, and they were nervous, right? And many people watching them, but every year there was something funny about that round of, of questions. But yeah, I understand what you mean. That it's, it's, it's. A, I find it very creative, right, to put that the the Miss uh, Universe and combine that with um, the metaverse, but also you know with art, with generative art, and and that sounds very very like a very interesting combination. So it will be also live, like a physical setup. There will be a physical setup there. Okay, cool. And so, for example, you know, there's. Does she jam? Does she use emojis? Does she use GIFs? Does she go to web free uh, conferences? Has she been on Carlos' podcast, for uh, example? <laughs> okay, so it's like uh, the attributes are like all these aspects of of web three and digital art and like uh, yeah, all the you can say the yeah the elements of the of the space. Oh, okay. Um, and so Ooh. these will rank. They'll, they'll be randomly assorted, of course. It'll be generative. Um, and so these will rank, and there will be a winner. Mm. Someone will win Miss, Miss Metaverse. Okay. So one of the, and these are NFTs, so one, one will have the winning NFT, like the winning Miss Metaverse. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's a very, very unique collection. I'm looking forward. And, and what about the art? How, how does the art look like? Like the aesthetics? It's it's a combination of text, of course. Um, I've been writing the traits mm. um, and of um, explorations that Melissa has done of representing the self via webcam webcam technology. Um, so we're marrying text and image um, to create uh, a statement of value for how women present themselves um, in the you know, in, in, in the metaverse. Yeah. So, you know, a trait is, is practicing. How do you communicate your practice? It's, yeah. it's, for example, a series of traits and that those translate into a certain score. Um, and the higher the score, the better your chances are of winning this metaverse. Cool. <laughs> nice. That's a very, very fun collection. I'm looking, looking forward to, to that one. Anna. 
you know, we, we've been talking for over 50 minutes and I, I don't want to, you know, lose the chance to ask you three artists that inspire you. And uh, it could be digital artists, could be blockchain or, or, or not. The, the blockchain could be traditional. So three artists that inspire Ana Maria. I love Elida Sun. Mm. I think she is really, really a special artist. Um, I admire her as a, as a human and as a thinker and a, as an activist. Um, I also really admire Oria Harvey. I, I think she's also doing really important work and has been doing so for a long time. Um, a highly, highly sort of um, independent practice and vision um, that I, I really admire. Um, there's so many artists um, that I, that I want to mention. Um, I love the work also of, of Mika Marple. Um, her her text-based explorations, I think, are very powerful and and are subtle despite their their um, declarative nature. Mm -hmm. um, the the work of Sarah Luddy. I don't know if you are familiar with it. No, Sarah Luddy. Um, yeah, Sarah okay. Luddy. Someone to really look up. She's been doing work for many many years. And um, I've, I'm in an exhibition with her now, an office in part, her and Jonas Lund. Mm. And, and I really think that um, the work of Sarah Luddy de um, deserves more, more attention. Another Sarah's work, who, who I love, is Sarah Ridgely. Mm. Yeah. And I'm really so. looking forward to her Bright Moments um, collection, collection coming up soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great great list um uh for everybody listening you can find all the collections we mentioned and the artists in the show notes so that's very easy to find there and it's been a pleasure anna thanks so much um i learned a lot and had a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to seeing that uh, miss metaverse sounds sounds very interesting thank you thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Have a great day, Anna. Thanks. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much to you always. Gracias.